Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start here. Ephesians chapter number 2. We're going to continue talking this morning about the glory plan. And I had thought about stopping and waiting, and then it dawned on me that, no, this is really kind of some good information to be considering and looking at, especially right now with all of the uncertainty out there. Obviously, we know that the more the more testing that takes place, the numbers are going to go up and so forth. I, I tend to watch the death number more than I do the test number because that's really, for me anyway, an indication of, okay, we have an issue or not. But the thing of it is, is understanding and having a confidence in God's plan and what he has planned for you and I today in the age of grace. And what I want to do this morning is begin to look at the process that takes us from the earth and places us in to the heavenly places. And again, Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7 is kind of a wonderful place to start and to think about as we consider, uh, consider this this morning. Uh, Paul writes, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ. And again, that's, that's really our kind of where we're focused and where we're moving to. And when we begin to talk about and we, when, and we begin to look at the issue of the process of what begins to move us from sitting here on the earth, having a vocation and a walk and, and living life and doing, to then promoting us and putting us and placing us into the heavenly places. Uh, come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I, I, I want to just kind of start here because the event, here we are in time, and we are walking along. I don't know if you're still in Ephesians or not, but in Ephesians 4 verse 1, we have a vocation wherewith we're called. We have a worthy walk. So here we are walking along life's way. We're, we're, we're living the grace life. We're paying attention to, to what's going on in life and who we are in Christ. And, and we're, we're living our life as we are. Now, we're going to have two scenarios here at the end. Whether we die... We're going to talk about that, or whether we're alive. So death or alive, there's going to be a resurrection that's going to happen. There's going to, we call it a ra the rapture. Now, the, the rapture, that word rapture that we use is not a Bible word. It was actually used in, 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 a, in, in, in some uh, Latin versions and so forth, but we've picked it up, and it's, a, it's an easy word. It's a good word. But it's a word that comes out of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 17. So the question usually happens and comes up, is the, is the, the word the rapture the right word to use? Well, it's going to depend on you. You'll hear me talk about 1 Thessalonians 4 as the rapture chapter. That's because it rhymes, you know. And it's a, kind of an easy way to remember it. But it's really going to be up to you. If you look at verse 17... Um, it's not a bad word. I, I, I know people get all flustered about words and should we be called Christians or this or that. And, you know, I, I think you're worried about something you don't need to really be worried about. But if you do, then here's some ideas for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, here's where that word rapture comes from. 
He says, then, sh- then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And that issue of being caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That issue of, of being caught up. And, and again, that's where that rapture term comes from and so forth. So there's going to be an event here where whether if the Lord tarries and we're alive, we're going to be caught up. But if we're dead, absent from the body, is present with the Lord, that's also, but this event is going to happen. And it's our day of redemption. It's our day of resurrection. Now, when you think about terms and how to do this, come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Someone in their email this past week asked me to slow down and to repeat the words because they don't have the overhead. <laughs> so uh, to repeat the passages. So I'll try and remember to do that. Uh, I don't guarantee I'll slow down, but I'll try and remember to repeat it a couple times. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1. 2 Th- Thessalonians 2 verse number 1. Paul says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And by our gathering together unto him. See that issue about our gathering together? That Paul, would, Paul calls it that. Our gathering together. Come back with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. So if you want to say, hey, instead of rapture, you want to say our gathering together then that's fine as well. Um, There's going to be a day of redemption that he's going to say here in Ephesians 4, verse number 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That day of redemption, chapter 1 of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. The day of redemption there, verse 14 which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So that day of redemption where he's going to redeem the purchased possession, he's talking about the church, the body of Christ, you and I. So you can use those different words. If you like the word rapture, that's fine. I prefer day of redemption personally. You can use gathering together and so forth. So the event that's moving us from earth, okay, to the heavenly places out here is going to be the day of redemption, our gathering together, rapture, whatever you would like to call it, our resurrection. Now, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Ooh. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, but hold on a second and run back to 1 Thessalonians 1. Oh. Actually, let first go to Romans 8. Let's do that. Romans 8. Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8. Okay, what are we waiting for? <clears throat> Romans 8. Ephesians 1, verse number 3. In the issues of the grace life, we're blessed with all... Spiritual blessings, right? We've been guaranteed to have them all. What are we waiting for? What, what's going to happen on this day, on the day of resurrection, on the redemption 
uh, on the gathering together. Romans 8, notice if you will, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. On this day, what becomes a reality, all spiritual blessings that we have in who we are in Christ are a reality. We have them as a present possession. As a present possession, we have and can experience the forgiveness of sins, the adoption, the, the accepted and the beloved. The, all of that we have. We, we, we're, we're glorified. If you look there in, in chapter 8 of Romans and you look over at verse 30, whom, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. Notice, all of that is past tense. It's all done for us. And so, in a reality, we, are, we can experience all the, all the spiritual blessings except for the issue of the new body. Because we, well, what does chapter 8 there, verse 23 say? We groan within ourselves, don't we? We have a tough time with this old body. The outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So what we're going to get, come over to 2 Corinthians 5 now. What we're going to be focusing on and looking at, not only are we waiting for the blessed appearance of our, and the glorious appearance of our Savior, not only are we waiting for that, but we're, we're going to get this issue of the new body. So get 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just talk about this real quickly here, and then we'll discuss it as we go down through a little bit more about the body and the new body. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 8 here, talks about the state of a believer between death and the issue of the resurrection. There's a state here. They're in a condition. And that condition is given to us and illustrated for us when someone who, Fernando, passed away. He left, the, he, he's absent from that body, and he's present with the Lord. But he's in a state, he's in a condition that sits here between death and the issue of the resurrection and the meeting in the air. Verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, so the earthly house, it's dissolved, it's destroyed, it's done away with. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, think about this. The Apostle Paul takes... The, 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 the illustration here of, you, of your inner man, which is your soul and your spirit, without a body, it is considered to be naked. So what are we waiting for? Well, we left the old down here, didn't we? Now we're looking for the new. Now we're looking for something new. We're waiting for something. He, they, the state is a state of being naked. In other words... Not clothed. Look, keep reading. Verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, 
not for that we would be unclothed. Now, that verse right here, most of the time when you talk to people about rapture and about the new body, they commit Christian suicide, and that's what they just want to go die and go on and get up there in, in heaven. Paul says that's bad thinking. Paul says wrong thinking. Paul says the way you're supposed to think about this is that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The way to be thinking about this, actually if you draw your eye back up to the end of chapter 4 there, is a light affliction. It works for you, eternal way to glory, and you're to be walking by faith and not by sight. So if you sit there and say, oh, I wish this old body would just go on and die and get out of here and I can get the new body or the Lord come back so we can get this, that's bad thinking. The proper thinking is to say, hey, I've got an opportunity here to be an ambassador for Christ, and I'm going to use every day the best that I can in the situation that I'm in, whether it's groaning with whatever the ailments are, I'm going to go that way. That's why he says there in, in chapter 5, verse 4, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Well, there's Ephesians 1.14. We have that earnest of the Spirit until the what? Until the day of redemption, until the, pur the, purchase, the, the redeeming of the purchased possession. Until this day out here where we're going to be caught up in the issue of resurrection happen. Verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are, whilst we are at home in the body, we are, what? Absent from the Lord. While we're walking down here, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So if I die, the Lord tarries, and, and I die, I'll leave this body, and I'll go and be in his presence. But I will not have a new body. I'll be naked. I won't have clothing yet. Where do I get my new body? Well, when the Lord himself shall come with the shout, with the voice, with the trump, and the, the, the events of the rapture happen. The events of the gathering together happen. The events of the day of redemption happen. And when that happens, then guess what I get? I get out of the old, but I get the new because I have a job to do over here. I have a service to perform that I can't do it until I get the new body. Okay? That's why when someone dies... Today, or in the past, they're in this state of nakedness. They're in this state of being unclothed. What do, we, what do we really want to have is that new body, but the new body would indicate it's time to now go and do the work. And it isn't quite time yet. Come over to Philippians chapter 3. Okay, so hopefully you're catching this. Philippians chapter 3. So what we're waiting for is we're waiting for the return of our Savior, but we're really waiting for that new body because it's going to trigger time to go do the job. Time to go do what we've been training for, 
what we've been over here studying and reading and training, you know, the word, the, the Bible, that word Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, that's what it stands for. We've been over here working and living and, and, and doing, now we get to go and practice it. Philippians 3, notice verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That happens at the rapture. That happens at the gathering together. That happens when the Lord himself shall descend with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, when those events take place. They're going to take place in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We'll see all these verses as we go here. And when that happens, we're going to get a new body because we're going to meet the Lord and he's then going to place us and give us our job assignments, our administrative duties in the government of heaven. By the way, look, finish verse 21. All of this is according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Subdue, that's Adam talk in Genesis 1. Subdue, dominion, run, control, rule, and regulate. So we're looking for the new body. Now, go back with me to Romans 11. What usually then comes up in great questions and discussions, and you will have this with people, I've had it over the years, and you will, somebody one time said, Romans 11, you ask pre 10 different preachers, you're going to get 10 different answers. And that's probably the case. But usually the question is, is what will trigger the rapture? What will trigger the day of redemption? What triggers these events here that we're, we're looking at? And, and you know, there is no verse that says when, when A happens, B happens. <laughs> okay. But there is a couple verses here in Romans 11 that tend to indicate some things that you, as we look around, we can see and, and uh, so forth, and then we get an idea, okay? Romans 11, verse 21 and 22. Romans 11, verse 21 and 22. Verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Isn't that an interesting thing? The natural brand, the Israel, the nation of Israel. He interrupted their program. He didn't spare them. He cut them off. He set them aside. Just as God did that to Israel, guess what he can do to you and I? Same thing. Now watch verse 22 carefully. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God goodness, the blessings, another day of His grace, severity. We're done with that. The, the, the dispensation of grace is now over. It's done. Severity. Bring a home. Let's get on with it. Let's finish out the 70th week of Daniel over here, the second coming, the kingdom, all that. Let's finish out the program. But watch verse 22 carefully. On them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. Notice there's a comma there. If thou continue in his goodness, 
Otherwise thou also shalt be, what? Cut off. Isn't that interesting? We're down here in time. We're living the grace life. We're understanding the word rightly divided. We're coming to understand the issues of sound doctrine, who we are in Christ. We're giving Paul his distinctive ministry. We're floating along here. We're doing what we're doing. We haven't left. We're growing. We're, so we're, in, we're, we're reaping his goodness. But what's coming? Severity. What's coming? A time when people, when, a time when the body of Christ will not continue in his goodness. Now come over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now what happens with this is everybody says, see, look, we're living today. Look at what's going on with the church as a, heart, as a whole today. They're in complete and total apostasy. And you know what? That's right. They are. When you look around Christendom today and the church at large today, you, I mean, this just this past week, they had another uh, healing ministry uh, church shut its doors and not going to go out and help the community and not go do. And it's like, well, if you believe in healing, then you ought to be out there doing it. But they can't because they know it's not working. Why? Because the dispensation of grace, God says, We're not, I don't work that way. I work this way. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall do what? Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron. What's going to happen? Paul tells Timothy there's going to be a day here, Timothy, when they're going to be departing from the faith. If you come back to chapter 1, verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, 1 Timothy 1, 3, When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, that they teach no other doctrine. They're neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. What are they doing? They're leaving the sound doctrine. The end of verse 10. And if there be any other thing which is contrary to sound doctrine, they're leaving. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. You see, this stuff was happening in Paul's day. They were leaving the goodness of God. So what should have happened in Paul's day? Well, the Lord could have stopped it. He could have said, okay, we're good, we're going, we're done. But he doesn't do that. Rather, he extends it another day of grace... He extends his graciousness, he extends his goodness another day. It's been, what, some 2,000 years. I'm glad he did it and is still doing it. And he doesn't cut it off, but the criteria is, is that one day the, Lord, the Father's going to look down there and say, okay, enough, we're done, time to move on. First, 2 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1 Verse 8, he says, Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. What's happening? Verse 15, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. They're leaving Paul. You come over to chapter 3. Verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall become... And you read the whole chapter, and what are they doing? They're running from Paul. 
Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Here we are again. We're walking life's narrow way. We're walking, we're going, we're being, we're learning, we're growing. We're looking for that day of redemption. We're looking forward to that. Paul says the condition, the thing that is going to trigger the day of redemption, the rapture, is going to be a day that where the Lord, where, where God the Father is going to at any time say, enough. The church as a whole, dark days. I mean, Paul, when we studied 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy as well, but 2 Timothy, we look down through this dark days here, start in Paul's day. Start in a time when Paul says, look, Timothy, I'm leaving, I'm going to die. Here's what church history is going to look like after I leave. So as we sit here today, guess what we see? We see the church, the body of Christ, in the same condition. And what do we say? Man, what's he waiting for? But you know what? They said that in Paul's day as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you can use Romans 11, verse 21 and 22 there to understand that at any time, God can cut off the body of Christ. The body of Christ does not end it is the dispensation of grace that ends because we, the body, we have a job to do out there in the heavenly places. Okay? So now let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. We, it, I think it's one of the most critical things. We're going to look at the process this morning. We're going to look at the events next week. We're going to spend some time looking at the details here. In 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13, all the way down through, through verse 18, because you and I need to understand these events. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll, be, we'll spend some time over there as well, because those events are going to be what's needed to be in, need to be enthralled into our inner man. The details, the process of the day of redemption, the process of him gathering us together, the, rap, the resurrection, the rapture, the whole bit. I One time I was asked, why does the dead in Christ come back and then get caught up and so forth? That's because our resurrection is just like his resurrection. And where was his resurrection? In the earth and then up. 1 Thessalonians 4, let's just notice... Uh, the key passage here, and uh, this will be our key point for this week and, and a couple weeks to come. Look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Again, six times Paul uses that term, and it's about doctrine that's very specific that you need to understand, that you need to have in your Christian life, that you need to have in your thinking because the adversary is going to cause you to, to doubt this. He's going to come along and he's going to attack you and cause your thinking to, to drift away from this. And again, your Christian life doesn't operate on the basis of ignorance, so you need to understand what he's now going to talk to us about. 
the, those at Thessalonica were having an issue concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. They were having an issue here with people who were asleep, dead. In Christ, they were sorrowing, and they were sorrowing as those with no hope. And again, they were, Paul says, I need you, I want you to understand what's going on here so that when you do sorrow, you sorrow with a hope. Not with no hope, but with hope. Now, the wonderful thing about that word hope, that, that confident, secure expectation of something that's going to come. I know it's on the way. Hebrews over there, he talks about hope that anchors the soul. It is, there's an anchor here. There's something that you need to know, and, 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 and you need to know what happens to people when they die. That's why we read 1 Corinthians 5, that, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, that state there of where they're, they're in limbo. They're waiting for the same thing you and I are waiting for down here. They're waiting to get that new body so we can go to work and we can go do and serve. When you think about... That word sleep, that's an endearing word. It's, an endear, it's a soft word. We, and by the way, when someone does pass away, like Fernando passed away earlier this week, you're going to sorrow. You're going to mourn. But you're going to do it in a manner that, you know what, we have a hope. We're going to have a reunion up here. I'm running out of room on the board. That's okay. We're going to do it again. We're going to have a reunion here. We're going to see him again. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Boy, that's a, the big if <laughs> there. Well, if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Romans 6 has taught us that there's a there's a oneness that we have there, a co-oneness. A co His death, burial, and resurrection, or our death, burial, and resurrection. Then guess what? If we believe that, notice, died and rose again. If that's what you're holding on to, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, then guess what? He's going to, he'll take care of the issue over here. Notice, come, notice that word, that, the, the term sleep again. Look back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I said it just a minute ago. It's a soft term talking about death. It's a gentle way to say someone has died. You'll notice in, there in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, he says, if we believe that Jesus died... That's the strong word. That's the harsh reality. That's the, really the, the naked truth, if you will. The Lord's death wasn't an easy one. Usually when someone passes and, and dies, usually it's, it's an easy thing. Not all the time. Sometimes it isn't, but most of the time it is. You know, they, they died in their sleep type of thing. The Lord's death wasn't that way. Rather... It was a little more harsh. So Paul uses a harsher reality check of what's happening. 1 Corinthians 15, you there now? Verse number 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 
55. Here's why Paul uses the words the way that he does. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the, is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory over death and the grave through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there are two people, two classes of people in verse 55. One, there is, O death, where is thy sting? So there's people who are not dead yet, but will be. And then he says, O grave, where is thy victory? Those are the people that are dead and in the grave. Death, grave. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. You see, sin is why death hurts. Sin is why people are afraid to die. Because after, the de after dying, what's next? The judgment. <laughs> Okay, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment comes. But yet we have victory where? Verse 57. We have victory over death. We have victory over the grave. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to worry about it. But rather, what? We have victory in who we are in Christ. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because what did he do? He died, he was buried, and he rose again. Come back with me to, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. When you die, what naturally happens is your you leave your body. And your body lays there as if it is asleep. So sleep in the scripture is referencing physical death. Look at John 11. You have Lazarus. And where, where the Lord goes in and resurrects Lazarus, verse 11, 11, 11. These things saith he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Isn't that interesting? If you look at verse 3, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And then the Lord, talking to his disciples, says, Lazarus is dead, but he uses that word sleep. Sleep is the death of your body. By the way, it's not the death of your soul. It's, the de it, it, it's where you come back to Daniel chapter 12, the end of Daniel. When you sleep, think about sleeping physically. Two things are implied. One, you're resting, got your eyes closed, but two, you're going to do what? Wake up. If you think about sleeping. But in Scripture, what sleep's talking about is that issue of physical death. Look at Daniel 12. Look at verse number 2. The Lord talking to Daniel and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to, some to shame and everlasting contentment. Isn't that interesting? They sleep where? In the dust of the earth. Their, their bodies are in the grave. Now their souls are either, 
in, in paradise, in Daniel's case, Abraham's bosom, or they're over in the torment side of hell. Come, over, come back to Genesis 3. Why he says they're sleeping in the dust of the earth. Genesis 3. Genesis 3 and verse 19. Genesis 3, 19. The Lord talking to Adam and Eve, but to Adam here, he says at the end of that verse 19, For dust thou art, and unto, unto dust shalt thou return. So when you come back here to 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about sleeping, it's, I, my point is, is that it's a, a gentle, a soft term talking about death. Now come back to 1 Corinthians 15. So again, just introducing, just getting started with what we're going to be talking about and looking at the process and, we're, and looking at the events here. 1 Corinthians 15, notice if you will, verse 51. Again, talking about sleeping. 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all, what? Sleep. But we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now think about this. If you're not asleep, you're still going to be what? Changed. Resurrection. He's talking about your, your body. That new body issue. He's talking about a change in the vehicle. He's talking about a change of moving you from here to there and giving you the ability. We're going to have this new body. We're going to be, verse 52 there, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. So there's some people who are dead. They're going to be raised, how? Incorruptible. And we, which are alive and remain, shall, we're going to be changed as well. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. Well, where's the corruptible? The guy in the grave. And this mortal, the living guy, shall put on immortality. So come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The process in which you and I are going to get up and get out of here and get into the heavenly places is what we're talking about. In Scripture, there's no such thing, by the way, as soul sleep. Sleep in Scripture is always a reference to your physical body being in the grave. Death, what, you know what death does? It sets you free from toil and trouble, and it causes you to rest. Uh, look back with me just at, at Job. I, I think about this, and especially, you know, Easter's in a couple weeks, and we got Job 11. We got different things going on, and we've all experienced a loved one passing away, dying. And I, I just, it endears me to Paul when he says, sleep, rather than they, they're dead, <laughs> you know. Look at Job 11. Look, look down at verse 11. Job 11, 11. For he knoweth vain men, he seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For vain man will, would be wise enough, though man be born like a wild 
ass colt. If thou prepare thy heart and stretch out thy hands towards him. Now watch verse 16. Because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as the waters that pass away. And thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning. Thou shalt be secure, because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Also thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. Life brings us toil and trouble. But one day there's going to be rest. And what Job's alluding to is that issue of, hey, you're going to be as that wild ass's cult. You're going, to be, there's, you're going to be all over the place. You're going to have trouble. But at, you know what, though, when you get older, that's what he's talking about there in verse 16, 17, and 18, and 19. Look at verse 20, but the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. All they're thinking about is just what's on the other, they're not even thinking about what's on the other side of death. Just a couple other passages, you're in Job, if you look over at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12. So sleeping in the Bible for the majority of it, is talk, Ecclesiastes 12, is talking about physical death. Not your soul, not your spirit. Notice Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Then shall, the dust return, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So where is your spirit going to go back to? God. Now, this is not a believer he's talking about. This is just man. Come over with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verse 23. Paul says, For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to, to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Well, if, his, if he, when he dies... If everything's laying in the ground, he's not with Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, a minute ago, verse 8, absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, obviously your soul isn't going to die. Come back to 1 Thessalonians 4. My point is, as he starts this chapter, as he's now going to begin to lay out the details, he starts it with the big if. If. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, verse 14, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Bring them with him in resurrection. If you believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, even so. That's the pattern. Verse 14. Even so. If you believe that Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, the gospel message, even so, the pattern. As Christ died and was buried and rose again, guess what he's, he's going to do over here? Like and as, even so. 
come over to, he, 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 also them which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? And again, in the issue of resurrection, look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And notice verse number 20. Hebrews 13 verse 20. Obviously, he's talking to the Hebrews, um, but here's the, 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 the concept. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting co- Notice that issue of the, how, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead. That's the idea of God will bring with him. When the Lord comes back and we're caught up, we'll have the, the shout, the voice, the trump, we're caught up into the third heavens. When that happens, he's going to cause, well, that's what he says, the dead in Christ arise first. Now, we're going to stop here. We'll pick up in verse 15, and we're going to just continue to look at the details, kind of dissect them down. But it starts with, I don't want you guys to be ignorant you guys at Thessalonica need to understand some things so that you have, so that you're not going to sorrow, but that you have a hope. And here's the details about why you should have some hope. And the reason we're looking at it isn't to get bogged down in all that other, like soul sleeping and stuff like that, but rather here's the event that are going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And you need to be aware of it. You need to be aware of it now in time as a critical part of your walk. And again, if we believe. That again, it's just it's fascinating over and over again, that big if. You see, folks, we have a great hope. Look, look, look over at Titus 2, a passage that we all think about when we talk about our hope. Titus 2, verse 13 and 14 looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We belong to him. This day and age, with everything going on around us, we don't know, you know, shutdowns, lockdowns, shut up, you know, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Boy, it's a great hope to be looking for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, because we belong to him, peculiar to belong to. And that's, that's, the, that's why we're looking at this, continue to look at it as we go, okay? So we'll pick up in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, hopefully next week, and we'll begin to talk some more about the events itself, the process and the events, the details, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son. In this day and age, as we go through and as we're dealing with all the uncertainty that's about us in the world around us, that we would just be able to relax in the confidence of the blessed hope that regardless of what happens, we will be in your presence and we will be there at your return. And that we will take up our positions in the heavenly places. And that we'll have that mindset be what guides us and what fortifies us. 
and what gets us through the day. In your name we pray. Amen.